Well, good morning. I want to encourage you to take out your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 14 through 16, or take out your smartphone and scroll to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It is so good to see each and every one of you here this morning. It's an honor always to open up God's Word with you as we continue our teaching series through the book of Hebrews called Jesus is Better. Um, and just kind of a couple of thoughts as we get going, you know, uh, I, I, those, those two songs we just sang were perfect as we kind of have an introduction into this message this morning. Uh, the first one is more personal because every time I sing How Great Thou Art, you know, that's one of those old church hymns, I think of my great-grandfather, even on his deathbed, bellowing out that song. And I can't, even right now, I got chills uh, thinking about that, and I'm very thankful for a, a Christian testimony of my great-grandfather, but also just to hear, hear his voice in my head. And I think that's a good voice to hear. Wouldn't you all agree? And uh, just a wonderful song and a lot of theology, a lot of depth in that. But also, as we deal with this uh, text this morning, that song we just sang about God's love and wanting to go deeper, as we deal with the majesty of the Almighty and yet the approachableness of who God is, that song is perfect because many times if we are asked to define God, we, at, we define him as God is love. Would you all agree on that? And he is loving, but we also forget sometimes he also is majestic. He's also almighty. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's just. He has wrath at times. And taking all that and understanding who he is, and yet at the same time we can approach him and have a relationship with him, that's a God of love. And this morning my hope is that as we dig through this text and as we deal with really just three verses and we uh, weave through the periods and the commas and the verbs and the nouns and all the structure of this text, I, my, my prayer is that you would know the depth of God's love, that you would know the depth of who He is, and that you would know the reality of who you are in Him and what that means. Because there's power in that and there's truth in that. And I really hope that we all can gather that together this morning because the entire theme of this entire series, and it's on the screen, is what is it, church? Jesus is what? Bet. Let's try it again. You're a little louder than 930, but you've had plenty of time to have coffee. Jesus is what? Better. And the reason we say that is because the book of Hebrews is written to a group of people who are struggling because they have transitioned in their confession of faith from being Jewish to Christian. Their families have ostracized him. They've lost their jobs socioeconomically. Everything has collapsed. The Emperor Nero is persecuting the young church and killing Christians. And so all of that's beginning to happen. And the author writes them a, sense, a, a word or a letter of encouragement saying simply this, is that Jesus is better. He's better than our good times. He's better than our bad times. He's better than our circumstances. He's better than our suffering. And many times as we deal with grief, as we deal with life, as we deal with just stuff that happens, it's important for us to recognize that Jesus is better, that he is better, and he is, his eternity is better, his truth is better, all that is better. But also, many times we become apathetic in our faith because life is good. Now y'all been there before, right? I've been there before. Life is so good that I lose a sense of spiritual passion because things are just perfect, or at least they seem to be in that moment. And what I want to reiterate this morning as we dive into these two verses, three verses actually, is that Jesus is better than that. The best day of my life, the best day of my life was the day my daughter was born. It's not because she's better than my son, it's just the fact that, and there he is over there raising his hands like, why did you do that, Dad? But the reason is, is because we were knew we weren't going to have any more children, and our young family was together finally for the first time for the last time. And as I held my son, and as my wife held my daughter, and I held my 
life, it was just a perfect day. You know what I mean? Just watched the miracle of childbirth, just got to have my son come in and meet his sister, brought a balloon to her for the, I mean, it was just perfect. And there's a picture of us, uh, of all of us sitting together. And of course, I, I was red-eyed because I was tired, you know. And so, all that, I mean, it was just perfect. It was just a good day. Jesus is better than that day. And you got to understand something. As you think about the best day of your life, Jesus is better than that best day. You think about the person you love the most and he gives you the most encouragement. Jesus is better than that person. And as we as is woven through Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, and if you haven't been here, I'm going to catch you up. As, we, as we've taken our time dissecting these two chapters, the author is telling us over and over again, don't harden your heart. The author is telling us over and over again, don't, don't lose sight of the fact that eternity is so much better than these circumstances. Y'all feel me on this? But Jesus is better than this. Because you got to remember, they're dealing with a lot of stuff. And so how we're going to do this this morning is I'm going to take these three verses. We're only going to deal with three this morning. We're going to tear them apart. I want to explain them to you. And then we're going to deal with some application. And then we're going to deal with a challenge. Are you all with me on that? So I'm going to talk really fast, and you're going to have to listen really fast, faster than normal, okay? So let's dig into this passage of Scripture, understand what it's saying, okay? Hebrews chapter 4, we're in verse 14. Notice what happens. Therefore, now stop, okay? We do this a lot, and so I want to kind of give you a pop quiz. If you've been here before, when you see a therefore in Scripture, what do you do? I don't understand what you said. You read before it and find out what the therefore is there for. And the word therefore is connected to chapter 3, verse 1. And the reason we know that is chapter 3, verse 1 starts a new section in the book of Hebrews. And there's a lot of clarification. And then he sums it up in chapter 4, verse 14. Does that make sense? And so they're connected together. So it's important for us to understand and go back and get verse 1 of chapter 3. Notice what it says on the screen. Therefore, holy holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. And we see that text right there and we know immediately that the book of Hebrews is written towards Christians. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Meaning, in your life, in what you do, continually come back to this place where Jesus is better. Continually fight. When you wake up in the morning, Jesus is better. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, Jesus is better. When you're in the classroom, when you're at work, when you're driving down the road, bring forward in your brain cells that Jesus Christ is better better than all this. There's a redemptive purpose for your life. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And for these people who are suffering, who are being persecuted, who are struggling, he's telling them this, look, in all this stuff, your world is falling apart. The grief is too much to deal with. Jesus is what? Better. But then he goes into this next phrase, and this is where we really want to focus on. Notice what he says in verse 1. To fix your eyes on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as two people. Or two positions, really. Is our apostle and what else? Our high priest. Now, let me kind of explain this to you. And so we're going to kind of, we're going we're gonna to swim through the mud for just a moment. But you, you need to understand what's happening here. The author of Hebrews is acknowledging and affirming the fact that Christ is an apostle. And what that means is an apostle is a truth teller. An apostle is someone who brings truth and has the authority of the one who sent him. Christ, being God, has the authority of God the Father to bring truth to the creation. Does that make sense? And the truth is this, not only is Jesus is better, 
There's a redemptive plan, there's a redemptive process, and he has a plan for your life. That there is a great love that we need to dig deeper into. Make sense? And so when we read the fact that Christ is an apostle, we have to underline this statement saying, Christ brings truth for you. And all of us search for that, right? Truth may be in family affiliation, truth may be in a different philosophy, but the reality is Christ is saying, I'm going to give you the answer. Creation has been searching for it, but here it is. But not only that, I'm going to become your high priest. I'm going to provide for you a way to know the answer. It's kind of like one of those pop quizzes your teacher gives you, and then says, it's open book test, guys. You know what I mean? The answers are here. And so what Christ is doing and what the author's affirming in this moment is that Christ not only gives us truth and gives us the answer, but he also makes the sacrifice for us. See, in Jewish culture, a priest was a person who walked into the temple and he offered a sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the Jewish people. Christ being the high priest of the church offers himself as a sacrifice for you and I for what we've done wrong. And so he brings truth to us and he brings a pathway to redemption for us. Makes sense? This is beautiful how this is intertwined. Because nothing else in the history of religion provides such evidence and such fact and such truth and such a ginormity in what God does than Christ in this passage. Now, let's go back to chapter 4. Now, let's pick up where we left off. That was all introduction, guys. I'm pretty passionate about what we're dealing with, or I've had way too much coffee. Here we go. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven. Remember, Jesus Christ lived on earth. He died on the cross. He went in the tomb. He rose from the dead. He spent 40 days teaching the people. And in Acts chapter 1, he ascended into heaven. You see that? So we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Follow me on that? And basically what he's saying is continually be committed to the reality that Christ gives us truth and Christ gives us sacrifice and we have life through that. Continually, every day. It's one thing to say, I'm going to be committed to the Lord. But as you live your life, those commitments are like a roller coaster, right? Some days are really good, some days are really bad. But to be committed to the Lord means you're continually fixing your eyes, like we talked about in verse 1 of chapter 3. You're continually fighting to say, God is my center. Christ is who I am. Christ is what I'm about. I'm going to live in that way. I'm going to allow his, his, his truth to penetrate every fat part of me, and I'm going to live in such a direction that it would honor God. And so the first affirmation we get through this text is, is that Jesus is better because he's the high priest and the great apostle? And in tandem with that, I want to stay committed to that truth. This is important for us. And you've got to think about it from the lens of a person that this author is writing to. They're dealing with hell on earth at this moment. But he's saying, stay committed. Now keep reading. Notice what happens next. Get this in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not what? Sin. Now here's what's, this is the beauty for me. And I say, I mean, the gospel blows my mind. And as more I dig into Scripture and the more I try to grow in my faith, the more I realize I need to grow more. I hope you realize that too because the more you grow, the more jacked up you realize you are, right? Thank God for Christ, right? And so here's the deal. As we deal with this little passage here in verse 15, 
I want you to understand the magnitude of the person of Christ. He is the incarnation. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Christ walked the path you walk. He is not unfamiliar with the struggle. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus and who he is chose God the Father. God himself chose to be a baby, to learn to talk, to learn to walk, to learn table manners, to learn to eat. He learned all those things just like you and I did. He went through adolescence. He had to get an education. He struggled with the same things that you and I may have struggled with, but didn't sin in that. And then on top of all of that, in Matthew chapter 4, was attempted by Satan. In being tempted by Satan, y'all remember this in Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes to him and he says, if you are God, take these stones and turn them into bread. Basically, the premise there is you need to create and satisfy your own desire. But yet Christ didn't sin. You and I don't always do that, right? Because whether it's McDonald's French fries or it's an inappropriate website, when we have a desire, many times we act on it, right? Christ didn't. And he understands the conflict that we deal with within on the desires that we have that aren't necessarily of God. The second thing Satan does in Matthew chapter 4, he takes him up to the top of the temple and they look over all the people in the uh, 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 street below and Satan says, just jump off the temple. The Bible says, if you jump off, the angels will protect you and so they will catch you and everybody will see you. Basically, Jesus, just go ahead and jump off and be popular and accepted and everybody will know who you are. You and I struggle with that, right? Isn't it great to be accepted? Everybody say yes. We all want that. Agreed? Isn't it, I mean, that's why we, listen, this is a beside the point. That's why is, if you're a church member here, we want to work hard at welcoming and greeting and getting to know our guests and making them part of our church family because sometimes the loneliest place is a crowd, right? So find somebody you don't know and love on them, all right? But here's what's important is that Christ, instead of saying, I'm going to be popular, I'm going to be accepted, chose to say no. And then finally, Satan takes him up to a mountaintop. Y'all know this one, right? He shows them all the nations of the world, said, if you'll bow to me and worship me, I'll give you everything. Basically, Jesus, don't you just want to be powerful like me? How many of us have just longed to be powerful? Let me, let me kind of put it, let me, let, me, let me change the way I say that. How many of us have longed to win the lottery? Everybody say yes right now. Okay, good. Some of y'all lying. All right, here's the deal. All of us, all of us want that. We want that rich uncle. We want that power. But Christ said no. He sympathizes. He empathizes. He knows how you're tempted. He knows your grief. There's a reason I believe that after the manger experience in Bethlehem that Joseph is not demonstrated or not written about in the rest of the Gospels because I believe Joseph is dead. He knows your grief. He had a dad die. He knows what it means to be rejected. He knows what it means to struggle. He knows what it means to be beaten. He knows how it means to be poor. He gets it. And so when you think in your life, nobody can relate to me, there's a God that can because he walked that same path. Have you ever thought about it that depth? There's a God that learned to walk just like you did. There's a God that learned to talk just like you did. And this is what blows my mind even further. Even while he's sitting in the manger as an infant in his sovereignty, he creates, he keeps the heaven and the earth continually spinning on his axis. Now, let's go to verse 16. Notice what happens here. Verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I want you to stop. I want you to really, maybe in your text there, underline that little phrase, his throne of grace. Do you see that? 
This is not a throne of judgment. And many times we come to God thinking he's going to judge me, he's disappointed in me, I've sinned again, I'm, I'm not worthy of him. And many of those things are true. But here's what's radically different from being a Christian and not being a Christian. Not being a Christian, you approach a throne of judgment where you're going to be judged by what you've done right and done wrong. Being a Christian means you approach a throne of grace where you're judged on what Christ has done. Isn't that cool? And he's saying here is this, be confident Approach God and notice this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy, meaning before you became a Christian, you received mercy. What does that mean? God didn't kill you. All right? That's what that means. And then now you find grace, meaning you're forgiven for what you do wrong now because, believe it or not, many of you are sinning at this very moment. All right? Let's just be real with each other, right? You're going to mess up today. You sped here, right? You saw somebody you might not like and you thought bad thoughts, okay? Let's be honest. There's grace for that. And not only that, there's grace in the future for when we mess up. And so we approach his throne of grace with confidence, knowing we have mercy, we have grace, and notice that last part, so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need, meaning there will be a timely aid for you, for me, for these Christians in this book of Hebrews, for when they need it. We can approach God. Many times we don't approach God, right? There's fear, there may be anger, there may be resentment, there may be a poor understanding of who God is. But many times we don't approach Him. There's something scary about approaching the one who is able to give you life and take it away. Would you all agree? I remember uh, my daughter, when she was maybe two years old, was just petrified of any type of mascot, uh, and we would go to Chick-fil-A, and there would be the Chick-fil-A cow, and all the kids would run up to the cow and hug it, and my daughter, that you find her on the slide just, you know, doing this somewhere in the playground, just scared her to death, and y'all have kids that did that kind of stuff, and they just flipped out, and so we decided, I think our church was a year and a half, two years old, and we started or really kicked off our kids' ministry, and so we invited everybody to come to church, and we had a new type of kids' ministry that was happening, and by the way, our kids' cove is unbelievable, would y'all agree, parents? They, Justin does a fantastic job with that. Uh, we, we have, y'all got a lot of babies. Now let's keep going. Um, and so we decided to kick it off, and we're going to give all the kids a balloon and maybe a snack and sugar them up, send them home with mom or something like that. And we were able to get a guy to bring in a Chick-fil-A mascot costume. And uh, he was an intern with us. He put it on and walked into the nursery where all the toddlers were, including my daughter. And they lost their brain. I mean, lost their mind. Kids were screaming, climbing out windows, going out fire escapes, climbing under tables. My daughter was able to juke and jive and somehow escape the nursery, ran down the hall. We found her in the worship center just, there's a cow. You know, all that stuff. (laughs) There is a fear that we have when approaching God. But I want you to understand something. We're going to reiterate this at the end. He is a safe God to approach. Why? Let's go back to verse 15. He is a great high priest. And by entering into heaven, in verse 14, he makes a pathway for us to go with him there, to approach God, in verse 16, with confidence. You get that? Here's an incredible thing that's happening there. And so, what we're going to try to do now is draw out some principles from this text. Because... As we dealt with that song about how, I mean, it's perfect how great thou art. God is big. 
but yet he demonstrates love for us in the next song. He does because we can approach him no matter how big or great he is because of what Christ has done. And so let's draw out some implications because here's the problem. How do we, how do we hold on? Let's go back to verse 14. How do we get this? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, how do we hold firmly to the faith? You get that? As life is happening, whether it be apathy because life is good or whether it be because sadness and grief because life is bad, how do we hold firmly to our faith that we profess? Well, the first thing is you make sure uh, to continually come to him. You can't stop. You know, the idea there of being committed and holding firmly to the faith means you keep going to God over and over and over again. He never gets tired of you doing that. He never gets tired of you doing that. And in tandem with that, as you cling to Christ, you've got to make sure that you're confessing the right thing. And what I mean by confessing the right thing and what I mean by knowing who God is is that when we look at that text there in verse 14, it says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We have to understand something that the profession or the confession of our faith is that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus allows us to approach the Almighty. And here's the deal. When you confess a weak version of God, Guess what? You're going to have a weak faith. You have a big God. You have a God that can speak life into your lungs. You have a God that can speak creation into the universe. You have a God that can dot the entire heavens with his stars. And at the same time, you have a God who can so intimately place himself in a feed trough as a baby and yet walk his entire life without sin, rise from the dead after being killed by his own creation, and then allow you to approach him. That's the kind of God you have. Make sure you're confessing the right thing. Because when you confess that a God that is completely loving but yet powerful, there's no power in that for you, is there? When you confess a God who is judging but yet doesn't demonstrate grace, there's no approachability in Him for you, is there? Know the God you confess. Know that He's a great high priest. Know that He's an apostle. Know that he demonstrates a throne of grace. Know that he demonstrates himself as someone who loves you and has a plan for your life. But also in that, approach God in prayer. Approach God in prayer. Understand who he is, but understand that you can have a confident prayer life in him. Many times because of my sin, because of my shortcomings, or because of self-esteem issues, I don't feel, or I just don't like being vulnerable. Are y'all with me on that? I don't want to come to God and just pour out my heart, but understand is that we read in chapter six, 4, verse 16, is that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because he's a great high priest, because he shows us mercy and grace. And so be confident in your prayer and approach him. It's so important that we get that because as the ebb and flow of life happens, we need somebody who's big enough to fix it to talk to, right? That would be God. But here's the problem. In my mind's eyes, I read this text, and I think about these Jewish Christians who are being persecuted. It still hurts for them, right? I mean, it doesn't mean their families are going to accept them back. It doesn't mean their houses are going to be rebuilt. It doesn't mean they're going to be not going to be killed for their faith. It just means there's a whole lot of peace as they go through that. And, and, and in our lives, as we deal with different things, as we go through things, whether it be apathy or grief, doesn't mean things are immediately going to feel better because, you know, 
the reality is feelings deceive us, right? So how do I struggle through that? Any of y'all ever been stung by a wasp or a bee or a hornet or a yellow jacket? Any of y'all ever done this? Kind of show your hands. I mean, that's why I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan right there, not a Tech fan. But that was a joke, all right? <laughs> so, But when, when a stinger gets into your skin, what do you do? You pull it out, right? And technically, your wound is healed, but does it still hurt? Everybody say yes. Listen, your wounds have been healed. You have been made right with the Lord. But since we're still here on earth, there's going to be some pain that we have to struggle through. But the hope is, is as we struggle through this pain, let's go back to verse 16, we can be confident to approach the throne of grace knowing that his mercy and grace is available for us and in his timely manner, he will provide aid. That's the hope that we have. And then when we look at the entirety of chapter 3 and chapter 4, there are three incredible resources that he gives us. Because we've had our application, here's the challenge, is that we need to cling to these resources. And the first resource we need to cling to is the reality that you and I need to cling to Christ with other believers. You need other Christians in your life in order to not only grow in your faith, but to sustain your faith. You get that? Many of us do life on our own. We don't want other people. But listen to me, you've got to have other people. And as these people are going through this situation in Hebrews and specifically in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he's saying don't harden your hearts. But instead, notice chapter 3, verse 13. It's a powerful text here. Get this. We read this a few weeks ago. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Meaning, don't neglect hanging out with other believers and doing life with them. You need their encouragement. Got to have it. But not only that, the resource of God's Word is there for us, meaning Scripture. We read this last week. Go to verse uh, chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is alive, active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, meaning God has provided not only His people for encouragement, but His Word for encouragement. And as we try to progress through life, and as we try to make it through the apathy and the grief, through the good times and the bad, Jesus is better, and it's reminded by how we hang out with other Christians and the fact that we're in God's Word. But not only that, He gives us the resource of prayer. We just read it in verse 16 of chapter 4. Let us approach God's throne. You see, you be with other believers, you be in God's Word, and you be on your knees. We complicate our spiritual development. We complicate our faith so much. But the formula, if there is one, is pretty simple. Go to church and be with those people. Get in the Bible that he's written down for you and talk to God. That's as simple as I can make it. That's his plan. So here's the question. How many of us neglect that plan? Let me just say this. All of us. Here's the beauty in this. We have a God that continues to be approachable. Many times when I think about the majesty of God and the fact that he spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, I tremble at the fact of even approaching him. But he's a safe God. He knows each one of our faults, each one of our struggles, each one of our issues. And consistently comes to us and says, approach me. Come to me. 
my, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, my family and I went to Macon to visit my uh, wife's grandmother. Wonderful lady. Uh, she's in her 90s, still lives by herself, takes care of everything, just awesome. Uh, thank the world of, we call her Mimi T. Thank the world of Mimi T. And uh, she was the only child of a used furniture and antique salesman. And so uh, when her parents passed away, she inherited everything. She has the typical grandmother house. She lives in the front part, and all the junk from everybody that she's inherited stuff to goes in the back room. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know people like that, right? And so when we go and visit, our kids go and rummage around and all the stuff, and they find treasures, and they always come to her and say, well, can I have this? Can I have this? And sometimes she says yes. Sometimes she says no. Uh, I need to tell my kids, if you ever find money, don't ask. Just take it. Um, she didn't know it was back there. Uh, and so, anyway, a couple weeks ago while we were down there, my son goes back and he rummages through the stuff. and He comes out of one of the rooms holding a grenade. Let me say that again. Because I don't know if you really understood what I just said. He comes out of the room holding a grenade. You know what a grenade goes? Boom, boom, pow. I mean, it's just, it blows up, all right? And I see it, and I'm thinking, okay, her husband was in World War II, and so I'm sure it's something he brought back as a dummy grenade that they train with. No big deal. And, I'm, and she, you know, she's 90 years old. She freaks out. She didn't know it was back there. And she's like, that might blow up. I don't know. And I said, well, Mimi, just let me take it home. And, you know, me and Kate are going out in the backyard and see if it'll blow up. And there's like, no way this is going to blow up. No way that anything's going to happen. It's got to be a dummy grenade. She goes, no, no, just leave it here. I got a friend. He'll come check it out. A week later, I'm driving down the road. Mimi T calls me, which she never does. And she goes, Chip. She's a Southern Belle. Chip. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. I got a friend. And, of course, she knows somebody that owns a grenade factory. Straight up. She knows somebody. Don't, who do, Does anybody know anybody? I mean, how cool is that? She knows somebody that makes grenades for a living. I want to know him. You know what I mean? Because if apocalypse happens, I'm hanging out at his house. All right, so here's the deal. Chip, I know a guy's got a grenade factory, and he took the grenade, and the grenade is live. Meaning, if my son would have pulled the pin, it would have blown up. I'm so thankful that my son is better than me. Because at 13, I'd have pulled a pin. How many of y'all have done that? Just raise your hand. Heck yeah, we'd have pulled the pin, man. In fact, I'm 41, and I asked her to take it home because I'm going to pull the pin at home and throw it. <laughs> Watch it blow up. I mean, it was a live grenade, y'all. <laughs> Why do I tell you that stupid story? One, is really funny. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been trying to work this in for three weeks, all right? <laughs> but two, and here's the real reason. You gotta understand how powerful your God is. And, and and really how explosive in a way that we don't deserve to approach him. That we don't deserve to go near him. That because of our wretchedness, because of our sin, we have no, no excuse. But yet the safety, the pin he puts in the grenade is Jesus. And because of that, you can come to the Father. Are you taking advantage of that? Are you approaching the throne of grace? You have been given so much, even if you feel like you have so little. We have been blessed with the mercy and the grace of our Lord. Don't lose sight of that. Today, some of you are here and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, and I want to express to you, there is grace for you. There is hope for you. 
there is life everlasting for you, and you've never taken that step of faith to really truly acknowledge Jesus, on your Connect card, at the very bottom there are several boxes, and one says, today for the first time, I want to know Jesus. And if that's you, don't leave here today without taking that step of faith and checking that box. Maybe to be baptized, to make it public, check that box. Or maybe, maybe that step of faith is to really text the word respond to the number that starts a conversation with one of our pastors to help us help help you understand what it means to grow in your faith and maybe you're more comfortable doing that but listen to me know the big and dangerous yet safe God through Jesus y'all with me on that he is the great high priest who offers mercy and grace for your life know him and the second facet of that is grow in him don't stop or maybe you need to start hanging out with other believers. Maybe you need to start being in God's Word. Maybe you need to start praying. and You don't really know how to do that. And here's what I want to encourage you to do is on the Connect card that you were given, there's a thing that says, I need a phone call from the pastor. And maybe that's you. Check that box. And I'll talk with you and help share with you how to start growing in your faith and get connected to a group of people. Maybe it's easier for you to text the word respond. But whatever it may be, don't leave here. Don't leave here without knowing Jesus and don't leave here without deciding to grow in Jesus, okay? There is a big and safe God, and his name is Jesus. Do you know him? Are you growing in him? Let's pray together. Father, you're bigger than we can imagine through this text. And as we read these words, knowing that you are the great high priest who comes and provides redemption for us, who comes and gives us life, who comes and rescues us from eternal death because of, of, of your grace and love, not because of our merit or works. Lord, that's beyond my imagination. And so bring in... Bring into reality that truth. Bring into reality the depth of what that's about. And begin to change us and uniquely work in us. Father, you are big. You are beyond anything I can imagine. And so uniquely change us. Grow us and shape us into the people that we're called to be, Lord. Thank you for giving us life. And I pray that you would put us all on a pathway that would honor you and we would experience that grace and mercy by approaching the throne of grace. God, we love you. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen.